Hello, everybody. Um, I'm here uh, talking with um, Nell Scovell. At the hey. correct way. Uh, nice, uh, nice talking. Here she is right now, and um, we are. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, uh, Miss Covell, uh, she is a um, television writer extraordinaire. <laughs> we, we may call that. She has written uh, for uh, such uh, classic shows as uh, The Simpsons, Late Night, David Letterman. Uh, it's Gary Shanley's show, uh, New Heart. Uh, she, uh, she created uh, Sabrina, Teenage Witch. Um, I I I, I want to say so bad that you wrote for stuff like the Apollo Comedy Hour and Def Comedy <laughs> Jam Primetime, but that is a complete lie. And um, she also has a book out now called uh, "Just the Funny Parts and a Few Hard Truths About Sneaking Into the Hollywood Boys Club." And um, on a Saturday, she will be the opening night speaker slash guest at the uh, 46th annual. Is it the 46th annual? Uh, Anne and Stephen Kaufman Jewish mm-hmm. Book and Arts Festival here at, uh, in Houston. So, uh, Miss Govell. Yes, yeah, 8 o'clock yeah. at the Evelyn Rubenstein Jewish Community Center of Houston. All right. Well, uh Welcome, welcome to this hour. Hour, it's nice to finally meet, uh, talk to you, and everything. Oh, same here. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that um, I am talking to you because um, there was a while there. I'm, I don't know if you remember, but just like I had a previous podcast somewhere down the line, and I tried to get you as a guest, and um, you, 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 um, you, you, you oh. declined. <laughs> Did I? So you know, you could spend the, your life promoting your book on podcasts. Yeah, it's um, uh, there's so many of them and so many are great. But, you know, I'm still trying to write. I'm still working on the next book and the next screenplay. So, uh, um, yeah, I can't do them all. But, you know, I haven't gone to a lot of cities on the book tour. I mean, I did the big ones, New York, Chicago, L.A. But I really wanted to come to Houston because um I've only been to Austin, Texas, which I gather is not the most Texas part of Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, I I so wanted to see Houston. Yeah, but you also said you, if if uh, if I may add this in and just uh, you 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 didn't want you didn't really like the sound of your voice on uh, <laughs> recorded material. No, it's it's hard because I'm I'm a writer, not a performer. And actually, one of the reasons I wanted to write just the funny parts is there are wonderful books by people like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Mindy Kaling and Amy Schumer that are about being a female funny performer. But for those of us who don't want to be in front of the camera but still want to write jokes, you know, I I really wanted to represent. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I try my best to uh, dive into uh, your history uh, for this interview and um, and learn stuff they didn't know about you. Like um, you, uh, you went to Harvard and uh, you, um, I believe you wrote. Yeah, but don't hold it against me. I I won't. Um, <laughs> you wrote for the Harvard Crimson while you're down there. Yeah, I was a sports writer. Yeah, a sports and, writer. Um, yeah, I was uh, the associate sports editor at a time when the sports editor was um, 
CNN legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's an old pal. Yeah. And uh, he, of course, went on to things other than sports. And so did I. But I think sports was a really interesting way to break into comedy because that part of, of you know, the newspapers, you've got to make it entertaining. Mm-hmm. And it's super emotional. I mean, think about it. It's the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. So you're not just reporting numbers. You really are telling stories. Well, it had me thinking since you were at Harvard and you were, you were writing for Crimson, I, I, would have, I would assume you were written for the Harvard Lampoon considering that's where, you know, everybody who currently writes for whatever on television <laughs> get their start writing for the Lampoon. And I would assume you would have jumped on it, but you, did, you didn't have any... No, uh, I was religion? too intimidated. Really? I was really intimidated. And, uh, yeah, it, it's also, it's very clubby. They were big drinkers, which I'm not. So um, I, I I didn't even try. Yeah. I mean, were there, were there any notable people at the Lampoon who would go on to do other stuff that you may, might remember? Oh, sure. I mean, Conan O'Brien was a few years behind me, and uh, I'm not sure what he's doing now, but I, I think he's uh, he was very funny. No, he's great. And uh, Greg Daniels, who mm-hmm. created um, The Office, the American yeah. version, and co-created King of the Hill and Parks and Rec. Um, so they were nice guys. They were actually below me, my class, a couple of years, or maybe I would have been so intimidated. Uh they, no one's super cool my year. Well, it, it had me thinking because uh, uh, I remember write, reading a Rolling Stone article years ago about the Harvard Lampoon, and, and there's a, you know, uh, there's one woman who wrote a piece about how, as you said, it's clubby, not only clubby, but very, but can be a very uh, chauvinist, misogynistic type of environment, and I didn't know if that was something you experienced or heard about during yeah, that time? Yeah, you know, I don't, I, I don't think people set out usually to be that way. I think mm-hmm. there's uh, so much deep-seated cultural bias that then gets subjectified, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's just like he he's funny, right? Because mm-hmm. his comedy is just like mine. And I think I'm funny, therefore I think he's funny. Um, And it doesn't broaden out to someone who has a different perspective can also be funny. Yeah. So uh, they had the first female uh, woman, first female person of color to be editor-in-chief of the Lampoon a couple of years ago. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, but then it always reverts back. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> right, two steps forward, two steps back. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, yeah, just because, you know, I just hear, you know, over all throughout the years, I mean, whether it's, you know, Letterman or Saturday Night Live or even Sim- or Simpsons or whatever, just like, Terrible. you always yeah. expect, you know, the writers, the writing staff to, to say, oh, I, I really wrote for the Lampoon and that's how I got to here, so. 
Right. Now, look at Letterman. He was on the air for 34 years, mm. had an average, you know, 14 writers on staff every given year. They would rotate out hundreds of writers passed through those doors. He never hired a single writer of color, mm-hmm. not one, not black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian American, nothing. So is that is that just cultural bias or is that outright discrimination? And, you know, that's where it gets really interesting. Well, well, I also think it's just this just basically just like, you know, you just assume well, this is just my personal take on it since we're talking about it. And it's just like, like for people, you know, for people like Letterman, they're just like they just, he, you know, he finds uh, people who are like-minded and, and yeah. unfortunately uh, very pale. And you, when you have, when, you, when that mindset, you don't think about, oh, maybe, you know, what about, you know, black writers or Latino writers, even female writers. You just, you go with what you know and what you, you know, think is yeah. the person who could, you know, represent your style of comedy on the air. So, uh, yeah, it's the safe bet, but mm-hmm. it, but it's also, um, you know, that's what the, the fight is. Cause you know, it's, it's the old line from poetry. How, how can we know the dancer from the dance? Mm-hmm. How do you separate the joker from the joke? Uh, so that's where the work needs to be done. Mm. Well, I mean, we'll get into. I'm not being funny at all. Well, <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, you know, just hey, this Sorry is this is interview audience. time. Just like you know, you can be funny, you can not be funny. I just want to just ask you good questions and not have you go. Uh, here we go again, damn it! I got to answer this question that I've asked that I've answered like a thousand times already. So just like if you know, hopefully, funny stuff may come from it and everything. But um, <clears throat> but I want I as I said I've been going through your history and just uh, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, was uh, your um, your time at uh, Spy Magazine, when, uh-huh. you know back when um you know back when it was referred to as the New York Monthly. Uh, actually, like you one... do you do you remember Spy? Oh or yes, you're too young. Really? I, I'm I am extremely old, and therefore <laughs> I remember stuff like Spy. So yeah. Spy comes out in 85, at yeah. the end of 85, I think. Yeah. And the very first uh, issue had a cover story about the 10 most embarrassing New Yorkers. And guess who made it on the list? Well, I think we Our can all guess at this president. point. Yeah. <laughs> and in <clears throat> fact, Spy is responsible for um, the nickname, the short-fingered Vulgarian, yeah. which then morphed into him defending the size of his hands. Um, but as Graydon Carter, who was one of the founders of Spy, always pointed out, the, the important word was not short-fingered, but Bulgarian. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for, for people who don't know, remember Spy Magazine was kind of a very satirical, uh, almost very region-specific uh, magazine because it were very, you guys really took, um, yeah, took aim at a lot of important people in yeah. New York and, and, you know, and, and very popular people. And, and, and also like looking back on the stuff you wrote, a lot of it, you know, a lot of stuff you did was, uh, was about, um, you I know, socialites and people. everything. Yeah. Made fun of rich people, <laughs> particularly their relationships and everything. 
their dogs, their pets. Yeah. Yeah. And just, there, there was one woman who had to keep her poodle on a diet so it could continue to fly first class in Air France yeah. to uh, to Europe. Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, it just, it and just, people are people are ridiculous, right? Yeah. Well, just <laughs> and that's funny. It just had me thinking. Uh, just you know, Spike that the, the uh, stopped publishing in like uh, the late nineties, and it's no longer around. But yeah, every, every time you think. You know, this would be uh, good if Spy was still around. You know, this would be good to, uh, fodder for the magazine. Or do you find that the world is so insane as it is, it's kind of like there's no possible way you can satirize what the hell is happening? Well, there was a, a freshness in Spy's voice at the time because there, most magazines were doing these puff pieces and then spy came out with this this really snarky brash attitude of of uh and it did spread you know gawker and jezebel and um it's it just that attitude is now prevalent maybe almost too much so throughout the internet but we did reboot it before the election yeah i wrote a piece about I went to Trump Tower in New York, and most New York buildings have to have um, public spaces. Mm. And the Trump Tower on the fifth floor has a public garden, mm -hmm. which was such a dump. And I cataloged the fountain was broken. There were bags of garbage in the corner. There, it, it, I just went through, and it, you know, at this time you the candidate Trump was saying, I alone can fix this country and mm. he couldn't even fix his own public garden. So we published that and it was funny because I went back a week later and they had cleaned up the garbage bag oh, yeah. and done a few things, but the fountains still don't work. I was just in New York and checked. <laughs> oh, well, just, <clears throat> well, just, yeah, you know, I just wanted to bring that up because just like there are times I miss by very, very much. And, but like a lot of y'all made the the smart, sensible move to move out of journalism and <laughs> on the television, which we get into next. Because you know, on your Wikipedia page, it says that you kind of started out uh, like you're right for Gary Shandling show and and Newhart and all that stuff. But didn't you? But didn't you begin uh, on the uh, the '88 revival of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour? I did. Yeah, which was. Um I know, and it makes me seem like I'm a thousand years old when I say I wrote for the Smothers Brothers, and then I have to quickly say, not the 68 show, but yeah. the 88 show. Yeah. Uh, but they were great, and Tommy Smothers was a, was a great mentor to me, and I got to meet amazing people from Harry Belafonte to uh, Martin Mull, and so it was a pretty amazing experience. I was in my 20s. I mean, well, what was the staff like? Did you have any... Because uh, uh, I, I believe you were the only female writer there. Was there any issues that going on in there? Oh, sure. Um, well, the head writer in the beginning was this guy, Mason Williams. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Mason Williams? Oh, yeah, Classical Gas and everything. Classical Gas. And, and uh, he would uh, you know, strum his uh, guitar during sessions, which is so much fun to be part of. And look, if you were, remember that Sesame Street song, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. So not, not only was I female, I was 20 years younger yeah. than every other writer. So there, um, uh, 
that was that was sort of tricky to navigate. I, I only worked. We did six specials, mm. and uh, that was. Um, it, but it was it was great. I mean, they're look, they're icons, the Smothers Brothers. And if you don't know them, go look them up at YouTube. I mean, they are mm. truly hilarious. Yes, and uh, well, I mean, just as we went on to to, to write for television, and everything, and of course. Uh, well, I guess on it, we should mention that, uh, just, and it's kind of, um, <clears throat> I, I believe it's a, 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 uh, huge point of your book talking about how is being a woman, uh, writing for television in a time, you know, when, you know, as we just mentioned, you can be the only female writer, uh, in a, in a writing staff and, uh, and you've just had so much experience over the years and, um. And you were talking earlier about Letterman and how, and I yeah. do, do remember you, uh, you know, because you you only wrote for him for a brief time, I, I believe, like in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. uh, and uh, so and so when uh, the uh, scandal broke, I believe you wrote a big, uh, <laughs> uh, his scandal broke uh, a piece of Vanity Fair about how uh, your experience there was not necessarily um, exuberant. No, I mean, I look, it was pre-Anita Hill, mm-hmm. and so we didn't even have the vocabulary to quite understand what was going on, um, and I now I know it was a hostile work environment, and, uh, you know, there was sexual harassment, and there was also sexual favoritism, mm-hmm. which is a subset of sexual harassment, which means you don't actually have to be harassed and this is true for men and women but if other people are getting promotions and benefits because they're putting out (laughs) then then that is um that affects everyone on Mm -hmm. the staff so all that was going on and then in 2009 dave goes on the air and literally says um i am having sex i've had sex with people who work for me and the audience, if you watch the clip, it's pretty astonishing. They applaud and laugh. Yeah. And that's 2009. And I, do you think they would do that today? Do you think we've actually made some progress there? Well, it was, I mean, back then when it happened, it was kind of astounding just to think that, like, he, when he, because he, he was so upfront about it, I guess people in yeah. way gave him a pass. Well, at least he's acknowledging it. It's not something that he's he's, he's sweeping under the rug, right? And but uh, but yeah, as you say today, I mean, it's you know, with everything that's happened, I mean, just yeah, it's, it's it it is it is it is tough to to kind of assess what could you know, yeah, if that that kind of environment. But it also has me thinking because like you, uh, as I mentioned earlier, created a Sabrina Teenage Witch in the <laughs> yeah. 90s. And by the way, I don't know what you think about the uh, new dark... Killing is... adventures. Yeah. You know, here's what I say. I say every every generation gets the Sabrina it deserves. Yeah. So, and these are chilling times. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. it makes sense. But, you know, as, as being a creator of the show, I don't know if you were a showrunner on the show uh, that long, but you were a showrunner. And just how did... You know, how were you yes I yeah was. yeah so uh so how did you handle ev- the environment when you're the head of a show and just uh 
you know, just dealing with the staff and everything and trying to keep it even keel and everything and all that. Yeah, it's, it, look, it's really challenging for most writers who rise to the level of showrunner because it's a different skill set and mm -hmm. they don't teach management courses. And, you know, years later when I got to work with Sheryl Sandberg um, on speeches and lean in and yeah. watched her you know, manage thousands of people, uh, it actually made me wish I had gone to business school and really learned those those skills um that being said you know i do feel like i we we were a diverse group we um had a lot of high level women mm -hmm. um and we were top 20 show and we came in under budget uh so it didn't hurt us at all um and i'd like to think you know i i ran it more fairly you know two of my writers uh, got pregnant during the season and um, I think I was much more gracious to them, having been pregnant myself, than a lot of male showrunners uh, would be. Mm. I don't know. Is that what you were asking? Or well, yeah, that was that, yeah. yeah just just <laughs> wanted to know like how it was back then for you, because especially like the mid '90s and just and and just seeing how things. I mean, how well I was. I want to ask like how things. What do you find? Can you still write uh, and, and do things? And just how how is it uh, now as, as as opposed to when you started out, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s? I mean, just give me a, a compare and contrast if you could. Sure. Uh, so in 1990, I went to the Emmys for the first time. It was actually I was working at Letterman. And I sat in the audience when they announced the uh, – five nominations for best comedy mm -hmm. so these are the best comedy shows they're also massive hits three and a half of these shows were created by women mm -hmm. you had murphy brown golden girls designing women wonder years which was co-created by carol black mm -hmm. and then cheers yeah. and murphy won that year so diane english goes up and she gets her emmy and you know i'm sitting in the audience saying this is it we we proven ourselves you mm -hmm. know women as a as a whole and we're never going back mm -hmm. um, and you know then you it uh you know it's this cyclical uh discrimination where you push hard you fight you make inroads you, know, you prove yourself and then you stop fighting because you think you've broken through and, you know, here's what I've learned is that the glass ceiling is not actually made of glass. It's made from that Terminator metal that shatters, that okay. reconstitutes yeah. and reforms. The T-1000 T uh, liquid metal yeah. type thing, yeah. So, um, so here we are back, you know, fighting. And I, I think women are making uh, inroads again. I mean, you saw the marvelous... Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, that's know. sweeped up a lot of stuff at the Emmys. Yeah, so, um, and and Jill Soloway. So there's there's a lot to celebrate, mm. but we until there is, you know, you, you really want that statistical um, long term support that you're that you've made progress before you start celebrating. I was I was gonna be all um, 
uh, Manzi and asked if you had any advice for uh, any aspiring female writers who want to break into television. But geez, at this point, any you have any advice for any writers who's not a white dude who went to Harvard? <laughs> just because, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of brothers want to be on some yeah. writing staffs. I mean, just... well, you know, the, the the best piece of advice I give to writers is that the only way to move forward creatively is to allow yourself to be judged. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's great. You got to write. Obviously, that's what makes you a writer. But you also have to put your stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and that means what's great is there are so many more avenues to do that these days, whether mm-hmm. it's Twitter or, you know, you, the means of production are on your phone, yeah. you know, making little videos. Um, so but don't talk about it. Do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So I guess we'll, we'll wrap this up. But uh, just uh, where can people uh, cont- contact you if you want to uh, pass along your information, your social oh, well, media I'm, contacts, at, you know, at everything? Nelsco, N-E-L-L-S-C-O mm-hmm. on Twitter. So that's always a good place to find me. And of course, just yeah, you can yeah, you know, people can pick up your book at any fine. Uh, well, just just go online and basically and buy it at this point. Yes, but, just the funny parts, please. It's so hard to break through. Every all the political books are flying off the shelves. Yeah, but, exactly. If you if yeah. you, if you wrote a book about Trump, yeah, you, you'd be rolling in it right now. But <laughs> like, oh, he makes it into my book because I wrote jokes for Hillary Clinton. Oh, and uh, yeah, November eighth, twenty sixteen was um, not just the day he was elected it was also my birthday wow wow <laughs> so he ruins everything like yeah, i'm not exactly. even looking forward to my birthday this year ah man <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> well uh thank you uh, very mu- uh, much mrs oh, you, and, uh, Craig. this was this was destined to happen fate has brought has brought us together i'm, I'm glad it did uh, good luck with um the uh the book festival hopefully you know i may swing by there if i manage to squeeze in and stuff like that but oh, that'd be awesome yeah it would be that would be awesome well uh thank you very much and uh you know good luck with everything and just good and you, you have a good one now thank you so much craig talk right. to you soon okay, bye, bye.